Welcome to The Alex Tremble Show, where we share the strategies and secrets you need to know in order to successfully increase your influence, build strategic networks, and advance in your career. An award-winning speaker, author, and leadership coach, Alex brings executive leaders from across the world to share their inspirational stories and insights to help you become an exceptional public servant while also reaching your career goals. Without further ado, here's your host, Alex D. Tremble. Hello, everyone. This is Alex Trimble from The Alex Trimble Show, and I'm so excited to have a good friend of mine here today. And um, I'm just going to jump in and like double dutch. But um, Keith, how are you doing this morning? I'm good, man. I'm juggling like everybody else. <laughs> juggling like everybody else. Nature of the beast. Hey, man. But as always, you looking clean, looking dapper. Anyone who's listening, I'm sorry you can't see this, but this man is clean. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a story about that in a bit. Um, Keith, you serve as the director of, tra uh, of traffic and transportation for the city of Charleston, South Carolina. What does that mean? What do you do? Um, I make sure that folk are safe in our public right of way. Um, but I also advocate for how we should think about what our community looks like. Um, I occupy the seat of director of transportation, but I'm also, um, the mayor's representative on a number of different boards, our aviation authority, our transit authority, our tri-county council of governments, and also our committee that doles out our gas taxes. So most, if not all, the major infrastructure that's occurring in the region, uh, in the low country, not just in our city, um, I get the privilege of being able to have a hand in and uh, navigate. Um, and so, uh, like I said, a lot of our conversation isn't just about, you know, somebody in a car or riding a bike or walking or using transit, but more about how do we define community, um, who has access and who doesn't, and how do we rectify those issues? So I, I asked you that question in Tempton because I wanted everyone to just kind of see the, the span of what you oversee and have influence over. Um, but if I can take us back a few years, maybe 10 years, um, I'm not sure if you remember this, but you and I were outside of a um, of gathering that a co uh, a mutual friend of ours was having, I think it was like New Year's or something, and it was cold outside. I mean, we were both in our big jackets trying to stay warm, and we were young at the time. And at that point, I asked you what was your plan, and you thought transportation was the place to be. Like this was your passion. You wanted to you wanted to really make your mark and help um, provide access to many different communities um, via transportation. So since 10 years, you're still relatively young and you're in this, this director role. How have you stayed so focused um, at such a young, and, and being such a young individual to be able to move this quickly into a leadership position? Yeah, um, since we're on a leadership podcast, I, I'll answer it in this way. I think it's, I've been blessed to be in a situation where there's been a number of people who uh, stopped their purpose for a moment to ensure that I could fulfill mine, whether that was through a encouraging word, whether that was through a correction, because um, we need correction too, whether that was through a recommendation, speaking on my behalf, whatever that might mean. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be naming people, but um, uh, there's a guy, Nigel Stevens, um, who I owe a lot of credit to. When I first came on the Hill, he was, as an intern, he was a ledge correspondent. Now he's doing amazing things. But I remember, um, you know, I, I, you talked about dress. I was always, you know, prideful about what I had on. I, I was trained, you know, you know, come come prepared. 
and look like you want you want to be somebody, right? And so that was always something I was raised with. And he pulled me to the side and he was like, you know, I appreciate, you know, coming with it, looking proper and everything like that, but I don't know what you do, right? And um, he kind of impressed on me that if somebody says your name, they should be attaching it to a skill. They should be attaching it to a product. So what is your skill? What is your product? Not, oh, yeah, that's that nice young man there and carries himself where, but, but what, what is your product? And that really stuck with me. And what it switched me into was that I, I had said to myself, you know, if nothing else, if my name is said, I, I want to be identified as an individual, a person of color, a black individual, black man who's in transportation, who's um, doing what's necessary for a community, that when tra the topic of transportation comes up, um, that my name comes up. And so that, that kind of changed everything. So my branding, how I present myself, how I use social media, how I connect with people, why I connect with people, the efforts and otherwise, all that played into that. And so even in the ups and downs of places of loss and change and all those different things, that focus became there. And so a lot of that is really credit to Nigel Stevens, man. He pulled me to the side, you know, did one of those young blood situations of like, you know, here's the game. And um, that really stuck with me that <clears throat> um, that product always beats popularity, right? It, it, it's what you can deliver because yes, maybe, you, maybe you're shiny and you get the attention that you need, but when it's time to execute, when it's time to actually get the job done, can you make it happen? And so that, that really kind of changed my focus and um, kind of gave me the gusto and passion to really zoom in on, on the focus areas of what, a, what, not just what I want to be known for, but what I, where I wanted to contribute to community. Well, you, you know, um, so I'm, I'm reading a book right now called, I think it's like Give and Take, Givers and Takers or Give and Takers by Adam Grant. It's a really good book. And, and what they talk about is the, the way to build influence uh, without using um, like coercion, basically, is to, is to be competent in your area while at the same time not being pompous, right? Showing that you're human. And I, I, I feel like you've done that very well throughout your career. I, I still actually remember you and I served on a um, uh, an advisory, a transportation advisory committee out, out here in the DMV area. And I still remember the first time you walked in that room. Um, again, we are the youngest people generally when we walk in a room. And when you spoke, everyone listened. And they ended up voting you to be with the, the chair or leader of the of the, that organization the next year. Is that, that, that what happened? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think it was vice chair of, of, of it. Yeah, it was you, me, and Veronica in there. We were trying to hold it down, make it happen. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, so how how do you? I mean, if you can, if you could look back and kind of maybe watch yourself, how do you go about communicating with confidence while at the same time being being human, being approachable, being humble? How, how do you do that? Because you're very confident in your area. Well. Um, I'm a hustler in every sense of the word, and I knew that I needed to get my level of fluency in this transportation space, especially because my pathway into transportation was very non-traditional, right? My first introduction to transportation was in college as a fellow with a housing authority in Chester, Pennsylvania, to Portsmouth to Philadelphia and seeing what happened 
uh, to that community when it was bifurcated by 95 and 476 went around it. And this community that was 85% black, 66% Republican had all three major waste management facilities um, in, its, in its four square miles of a city. Um, you know, had all of its housing authority under receivership and, and just just all the different things that were happening all at the same time in this small space and, and recognizing the level of influence one could have on really like making community from the top down and being exposed to the fact that transportation was this integral factor, right? I'm biased, of course, but I believe that transportation is the common denominator for yeah. how we build communities and can be offered as a solutionary point, right? Um, I feel like it closes the gap between opportunity and access. And when there's a gap there, privilege reigns supreme. So it's constantly trying to close that gap and, and really do uh, through the lens of equity. But um, that those early exposures um, really kind of channeled me to learn. Like I remember when I first came on board at the Transport Workers Union, I would sit in meetings and not be writing notes. I'd be writing every single word, phrase, or otherwise that I didn't know. I was single at the time. I didn't have other responsibilities. So that those weekends, you know, during the day, you know, obviously, you know, being in D.C., you enjoy yourself in the evenings. But during the day, I'd be in office Friday, Saturday, Sunday, literally just researching, trying to get my level of fluency, trying to understand this world that I was interested in. But um was coming through a whole different other lens i wasn't coming from the planning world i wasn't coming from engineering world i was coming from advocacy and policy and so i needed to get my level of fluence uh, uh fluency and i appreciate that because it introduced transportation to me at the intersections instead of its own categorical area and so my context and how i spoke about it wasn't simply about level of service or wasn't um simply uh about how fast a car can get from point a to point b it was really more about people. Um, and, and I think I think being exposed to the labor movement helped me with that when I saw who actually was driving the buses, um, who was serving the food on Amtrak uh, trains, um, who was fixing the airplanes on, on the uh, air mat. You know, it, it, it shifted my thought process about that. And so my approach of thinking about transportation through people um, made it more personal to me. So my articulation of it wasn't has has really honestly never been through a, a a quantifiable lens. It's really been through a qualifiable lens, um, and I think that I'm not the only person who speaks in that way. But at least when, in the opportunities that are given to me, I think that that's what resonates with people the most. So I'm going to continue down this 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 thought process now. Um, you just kind of spoke of something, I believe it makes you stand out. You, again, you said you, maybe you're not the only person who does it, but you are uh, maybe one of the few who does it. So it makes you stand out. Um, you've done a really good job of um, building, you said your brand, another way of saying it, maybe it's reputation. Um, and those are all things that are critical to success. You I tell people all the time, you won't be hired if no one sees you. <laughs> if no one knows you, how can they select you? Um, can you share maybe some of the concrete intentional things you do to brand yourself you talked about that, that branding component um i think there is a i think i think one has to be clear about well let me say it this way social media has given us a way to market ourselves for free i don't think that people always take into consideration that they have that level of control of the narrative that they want to put out. 
And so um, I think there was a recognition of that for me. Um, and so I think there was that piece, right? What would uh, the conversation I had before would only be recognized for. So um, obviously this is expanded now, now that I'm married and have, have a kid, but you know, my focus areas is, is talking about community and, and the work that I do, um, you know, and, and my family and my faith. Um, I also recognize that uh, um, that that, mat that that showcases itself on different platforms, right? Um, uh, one, one of my partners, shout out to uh, uh, Jason Moe, who uh, started Trap Karaoke, but he and I first started on the Hill as interns together, and he's very methodical. And people, uh, you know, there's scientific data around the colors that people are attracted to when they focus in on um, attention, you know, onto their screens or onto certain platforms, you know. So there's an approach that I take with LinkedIn. LinkedIn you know, the average age of people on LinkedIn is between 31 and 51. And so I recognize immediately that, that on that platform, I'm speaking to people that either are at my level or where I wish to be. So for me, I don't see LinkedIn as kind of this uh, <clears throat> personal social space, right? I see it very much specifically about, um, you know, my everyday work and, and the platform that's been given to me specifically in transportation. Um, Facebook to me lets me do any and all the above. I'm just more strategic about when I place those things on that platform and why I place them on that platform. Um, Twitter to me is is the most direct way for me to get information and give out information um, with 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 uh, uh, strategic immediacy. Um, you know, I remember being being a lobbyist and and when certain documents and otherwise were embargoed, being able to still work with folk and. Um, uh, with through direct messaging and otherwise to get stuff done. So, you know, I recognize what those platforms are. I recognize that they're also free and maximizing them to, to their ability. I think the other thing too is I remember when I was a um, municipal um, intern for, in Philadelphia for Councilman Curtis Jones Jr. Shout out to him. Um, he replaced Mayor Nutter when he became, when Nutter became mayor. And uh, I remember uh, Al Spivey, his chief of staff, he would come in daily with a stack of, um, a stack of business cards. And yes, he had me doing all this other great work and otherwise, but I would have to sit there and categorize those and put those into Excel sheets. So he would have all his contacts. He was, he was, he was very strategic about maintaining his, his contact list. Yeah. And so that <clears throat> I'm not as methodical as, as I've, I've been in years past, but I'm, I'm very specific about maintaining those contact lists and otherwise, so that folk know what's going on. I think I've, I've leaned over the, over the, especially coming into this position, lean more into maximizing the social media platforms. I think LinkedIn does a good job of, of categorizing your contact list and otherwise um, being able to uh, merge your Google contacts or otherwise so that you can have everything synced together. Um, so I don't do as much uh, leaning into the business cards as much as, as before, but some of those things I've learned over time have just been strategic there. Like everything, it sounds uh, almost uh, fake in some ways, but everything that I do in terms of public facing is I'm very methodical about it, very strategic about it. Um, not just because, oh, somebody could see this later or otherwise, but I've learned very quickly that there's way more people who are watching who don't click the like button or you know they're watching, um, then, then, then are interacting with you. And I've seen that play out in so many different ways. Even my ability to get into this position was specifically because there was somebody who I knew 
you know, but but wasn't interacting with on a regular basis. I, w- I would dare not say a mentor. I could say that now, but um, not at the moment of when when they when they saw me um, had been watching me for years. And when the question came up about this position, he decided to say my name. You know, um, and so you know, I, just, I think that stuck with me a lot about. Um, the brand that's out there is not necessarily f- always for your most immediate uh, audience. Um, sometimes it's, it's for somebody who uh, might be watching from afar. Thank you for tuning in to the Alex Tremble Show. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. The results are in. Research has found that networking is one of the four skills absolutely required to successfully advance in your career. However, when asked, most government employees state that they don't network because they believe that networking is for extroverts and for people who care more about their own careers than the organization's mission. But what if there was a way to ethically network without looking self-absorbed and being a super extrovert? Well, there is. Alex Tremble has created a seven-week online networking course specifically designed to give ambitious leaders like yourself the skills needed to become a strategic networker. This course uses time-tested and research-backed strategies to help you identify, build, and maintain critical relationships with influential leaders. Visit alextremble.com courses networking to learn more about his networking model today. Use the discount code podcastfamily on the checkout screen to receive a 20% discount. Don't delay. Enroll today at alextremble.com courses networking. And now back to the Alex Tremble Show with your host, Alex Tremble. That, that, that is amazing. <laughs> That's really great information and advice. And it, it, you know, it makes me think of, um, you know, just the importance of, well, let me scratch that. I'm going to say, you do all this. You said, you just talked about how intentional you are in, uh, in getting your word out and sharing who you are and the vision. And it's not for a pompous reason. I mean, I think a lot of government employees, especially because they're so, um, they tend to be very mission focused. They, they, they struggle with the, the idea of doing their job versus looking like they're self-promoting. And it sounds like you doing this is helping you do your job better, right? Is, is that what I'm hearing? Oh yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I mean, I, so I, I think being able to execute takes three different things. One, it takes your passion right? You got to be passionate about your why, right? Um, because then that helps you make critical decisions. I was, I was at the post um, not too long ago specifically about now I'm in a position where I get so many opportunities and I have to think about, you know, not just, it's not, it can't be about this is cool. This is going to give me extra shine and all that. It has to be about, does this connect in with what I believe my life purposes is and, 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 and my objectives, right? Because a lot of the opportunities that come my way aren't necessarily within the scope of my everyday work, right? And I think that there is definitely a difference between just yeah. trying to get shine and actually being intentional about how you want to use your voice and your platform. So I, I think in, if, if folk are th- in that type of thought process, then we're not talking about something that's pompous. We're talking about something that's uh, very much intentional um, and tapped in with um, who you are or should be. Um, so I think I think there's that part. I think the other piece of it is that you, there's no way you're going to solve the problems that that you wish to solve, or as, even as a government employee that you're tapped into by yourself. 
right? You know, who are you going to call? Mm-hmm. Who, who are you going to convene? And especially now being in this leadership position, I recognize fully that I, I have the power um, to ask very strategic questions. And because of my position, I have to get an answer. Mm-hmm. I have the power of convening, right? So I can call um, the right people together to try to figure out a solution, right? Those, those are important tools to be able to use, but um, the, is your Rolodex such that you can convene the right people, right? Who, who are you attracting to yourself so you already know how to make those calls, man? Or um, be able to um, give, uh, for lack of a better term, alley-oops, right? A couple of days ago, <clears throat> the head of transportation in um, Baltimore emailed me because they have a new mayor coming in, 36 years old about to take over and um, that's opening the door for what he can do in his department. And so he has positions that are now available that he wants to bring diverse staff in. So I got the phone call and was like, man, whoever you have, he's, he, for better or worse, he's asking me to reach into my contacts and give that. Right. And so here's this opportunity because of the position I've been blessed with to be able to support somebody else, to be able to engage somebody else. Right. And so I already knew there was already names that came to mind. Right. Of people who were skilled, who are ready to go to work, but also um, were giving getting an opportunity that they may have not otherwise known about or been able to take advantage of. Um, and I think the, the other piece is, you know, um, um, folk. I know people want to uh, transition, move, do better, and otherwise people aren't going to know that if they don't know the work that you're doing. Yeah, yeah. And in this day and time, you know, people understanding what you can deliver, the fact that you can produce is, is always important. And so that showcasing is, is, is something that I don't think that folks should shy away from. It's not simply, you know, I'll just add this to my resume and somehow some way I'm moving that way. Um, I, between the last one, two, three positions that I've held, <clears throat> when, when these opportunities come up, it's 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 friends, it's colleagues making calls, sending a text message, saying, sending a DM, and saying, "Hey, I have this opportunity. I want to get a great candidate. Help me out, right?" And so, for the person that's being asked that, they're going into their Rolodex, they're taking a search, they're looking around and trying to find that. And so, are you that shining star that's out there that's been doing do your due diligence to showcase what you're producing so that you can grab that attention too, right? So. I think if people are thinking about it in that way, then it, it, it has absolutely nothing to do with arrogance or pompous or, you know, I, I, I just want to be uh, seen for, for being seen sick, right? It's much more strategic than that. Thank, thank you for all of this. Again, you, you've provided so much value for everyone who's watching and listening today. Um, I, I want to throw maybe one more question at you and then we can start to wrap up. I know your time is very valuable. Um, so I was talking to uh, the deputy director, former deputy director for intelligence at the CIA last last week when I was interviewing her, and we talked about the impact of of COVID um, on the on the world and on her specifically. They were talking about we were talking about intelligence for her, um, but it made me think about you as well. Um, you know, we have been moving. I think there there has been a movement to try to get more public transportation and so on and so forth. And now with COVID and people being you know not together, not maybe one to ride together. Um, I guess I had a question, not necessarily where do you see the future of transportation going given a COVID environment, but how do you, how do you go about convincing people 
to change their ideas given the COVID environment. I think a lot of people may be wedded to this is the way we need to move. And now given COVID or future COVID, um, we may need to be thinking about this differently. So how do you go about changing people's minds to get, move them off of the platform they're, they're, they're latched onto? Well, I'm, I'm gonna answer this in a different way. Um, so I think sometimes, so it's necessary to recognize the fact that we aren't going to be able to build our way out of traffic congestion, um, climate change, all those different things with our public right of ways, right? And even in our region, there's probably one, two, three more widenings of sorts that could happen, and that's pretty much it, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So that, that's our street grid. Um, <clears throat> so the question is more about how do we maximize that? And from an economic standpoint, um, from a traffic mitigation standpoint, from an affordability standpoint, um, you know, we have to think differently about what mobility looks like for the future. Um, and it, it can't just be a car, right? Um, our West Ashley area of the city, um, which has our most densest population, 84% of those residents leave West Ashley every day in their individual vehicle. That's just not sustainable. But over 60% of them said they would choose another mode of transportation if they knew it was connected, affordable, um, safe, right? Um, so they've already given our mandate, obviously that those, those statistics were done pre-COVID, um, but they've already given that mandate. So it's not just simply, you know, how do we make transportation more connected? It's, it's also about what's being built in West Ashley that gives people an, an option of work, play, health, and otherwise um, in the immediacy of, of the area. Um, and so I, I really don't like this dichotomy, but it's something that's used. It, it, this, this idea of choice riders versus dependent riders always comes up about how do you create mode shift, especially for those who can can willingly choose to own a car and otherwise. And I think there's specific work that has to go with that, but a lot of that is through show and tell, at least in my experience being here in Charleston, right? Um, you know, people have the nimbyism, not in my backyard or, you know, change everything, but don't touch nothing until they actually see it. And then all of a sudden it's, let's figure out and make that happen. And so I think I think there's there's uh, multiple ways of, of looking at this. One is the fact that we can't, we can't be, uh, uh, we can't just make our decisions about what mobility should look like for those who can choose. If you look at our statistical data, I'll just use Charleston, I won't talk about nationally. If you just lose our statistical data, <clears throat> we're number one in the, in the state in bike pad death and injuries, 43% of them are African-American. Our fixed transit routes, 69% of our riders are African-American. Um, over 70% of our riders make $45,000 or less and about 77% of our riders um, don't own a car. Right, that's our existing ridership. So when you say transit, the vast majority of our transit riders today are dependent on that service, whether there's COVID or not. Right, so I, in my mind, when I'm talking about transit and whether or not it's sustainability, it there's no choice in that matter for yeah. the ridership that we're currently looking at. Obviously that's for our future, that can't be the only type of ridership we have, but in terms of our existing ridership, that's just facts. Right. So how do we make that as safe as possible for those who are already dependent on the service? <clears throat> then the other piece of it is um, how do we maximize policy so that um, when we're talking about transportation 
um, opportunities and mitigations for the future. Um, we're not just putting that onus on municipalities to figure out, we're putting it on these developments, the developers who are coming to our cities and are attracted to the urban culture and wanna create something new, right? So, um, you know, Charleston just got, again, for the 10th year, the number one tourist city in the country. We have 50 people moving here to our region uh, um, daily. Uh, and so we changed our policy. So now every major development that happens in this city, when they do a traffic, they have to do a traffic study and they have to do transportation mitigation. Now today, based on that study and what type of triggers are hit, they will have to provide transit accommodations within their project scope or they can't get their CEO, right? Which means they can't uh, move their certificate of occupancy. Um, so we have projects all over the city that are now incorporating transit accommodations within their concept designs because their traffic, gener traffic generation for their new site of 300 new residences or a hotel or whatever that is, has to be mitigated. And it's not gonna be mitigated just through uh, uh, general uh, vehicular uh, accommodations. It's also gonna be, so through that, we're, 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 we're putting the burden on the developer of cost, but we're saying to the general public that this is a priority for execution. Um, and so uh, it's, 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 there's things, and then the third place is just like major projects that can shift the bill. So we're, we're building a $400 million, 26 mile bus rapid transit system connecting three municipalities. Um, and, and the hope there is, is that we're showcasing something new. You know, that, that, that's that show and tell piece that gives people a sense that this is actually possible, this works, this is a reliable alternative for that. So. You know, obviously there's no guarantees along how we move with that, but I don't think that, you know, the, the alternative of trying to build our way um, through individual vehicles uh, to mitigate uh, our transportation and congestion on our roads, it, it's been proven over and over again that that's not gonna work, right? And so we have to think about other ways of, of, of which, whether uh, through uh, uh, micro-mobility, biking, walking, um, um, uh, uh, ride share and other particular aspects, um, and then also our, our our transit aspects, both our fixed routes and also, um, you know, BRT and in other cities, it's bigger things than that that allow us to give people options and choice of how they get from point A to point B. And and obviously, for my interest, that also answers the equity question of those who are dependent on those ways as well. Well, I mean, it, to me, it sounds like. What you've just done is you said, like you said, you set your priorities and you're steadfast in those priorities, and then you're just going to be relying on creativity. Um, and I think that's a great method. If, if, if that's what you're saying, it sounds like a great method because you're you're keeping your values. You're saying, look, this is the people we have to serve. This is the ultimate outcome we have to have. We're not going to change that. Let's find a new way to make sure we have make this happen. Whether that be you know you working on new things or putting on the developers to find new ways. Um, you know everyone talks about the, the creativity of the private sector. You know allow allowing them the space to come to the table with new ideas sounds like a really good idea. Um, I, again, I think I can talk to you for hours, <laughs> but I do want to respect your time and just we'll wrap up. But I do want to open it up to you. Is there anything you'd like to share? Any final thoughts, advice for anyone who is um, a government employee who wants to continue to move up in their career and gain more influence? Yeah, it's a message that I've said on a number of different platforms, but I think I'm obligated to um, say. Um, I think, especially for um, those who are. Uh, 
hard governmental workers um, who are who are women, who are, who are veterans, who are people of color, who are black folk, you know, who are making their ways through and otherwise. I think there's a lot of times where we uh, think about where we want to be and what we want to accomplish, and we and we look immediately at our deficiencies that. Uh, uh, quote unquote, disqualify us from being able to access those spaces, those platforms, right? But we give no credence to what we've added to ourselves, what we've learned over time, um, what we've gained, who we've connected with um, as quali qualifiable reasons for us to occupy those spaces. I too was one of those folk who, who did that, right? Um, but what's been interesting coming into this space and being um, granted this responsibility, thanks to our mayor, um, is I, I started recognizing at different moments the different experiences that I previously had that literally was picking that experience up and applying it within the space. And I think if I had just stayed in the, in the, in the position of, well, you know, but I don't have this, or I've never experienced this, then I, I would have distrusted my ability to occupy the space and not uh, recognize that there are skills and tools that I've added over time that make me more than capable of occupying this place. And so I just want to be an encouragement for somebody who's looking at what what they believe to be as disqualifications instead of what actually qualifies them to occupy that space and, and just be an encouragement to lean into those qualifications because it 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 it, it might, might just be that those qualifications are exactly what's necessary for you um to, to occupy those leadership spaces that you're looking at well, thank you so much, Keith, for those words of wisdom. And everyone, again, if you appreciate what was shared today, if you found it valuable, again, please don't just look back, reach back, share this message, share this content with someone else, a friend, a colleague, a family member, whoever it may be. Uh, make sure you, uh, you click a like, whatever buttons are on there, click those things to make sure that more and more people can get these, to hear these words that Keith shared today. Um, as always, I thank one, thank you, Keith, for being here today. And I'll end on everyone, stay strong, stay positive, and definitely stay moving. Bye. Thanks for listening. Find us online at thealextrembleshow.com and be sure to share what you've learned with at least one other person today. Check back on the first and third Wednesday of each month for new episodes. Until next time, stay strong, stay positive, and definitely stay moving. <laughs>